0: Hey, can you um, turn to someone next to you and say, "I am so thankful that you're here today." Can we do that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Then can you uh, look at someone else and say, "Let's serve. Let's serve God together." All right. Well, as I. Uh few years back, hit uh, the other side of 40 years old, I, I realized that it would be a good thing for me to begin to take uh, my health a little bit more seriously, um, at, at least in some ways. And part of, part of what that means is uh, to be a little bit more regular in going to the doctor and going to the dentist and getting checkups and physicals and, and, and such. And um, one of the things that is par for the course when it comes to going to a medical professional is you got to fill out these intake forms and talk about, uh, do you have pain anywhere? Do you have any issues? Do you have any struggles with uh, any health-related things? And then there's a whole section, a whole page, where you have to write down your family history. They've got like a hundred different check boxes, and you have to say, um, have you or has anyone in your family uh, had issues with things like high cholesterol or high blood pressure or is there a history of cancer within your family or um, different ailments, uh, liver disease or alcoholism or cigarette smoking, all these things. And you have to check if anyone in your family, your parents has, or, or grandparents have, have experienced any of these kinds of symptoms. And you have to check these things off. And the whole point of that is to say that there are issues in our lives that have been issues only because they've been passed down through our parents, right, and through the parent generation. Um, Understanding why you feel a certain way is really important. Um, Understanding what it is is really important. So here you go. You go to the doctor, and you've got, you're having some kind of chest pain. You're having some kind of pain within you. The first thing that you got to figure out is what's going on? Like, what is causing this ailment? Oh, you know what? You've got you know, this blockage in your heart, or you've got this tumor, you've got something going on within your, your body. To know what it is is important, but the second thing that needs to happen once you find out what it is, is you have to realize why it's there. Like, how did it, what, what, what's, what's driving that? Why did that happen? Is it, well, is it diet-related? Is it stress-related? Is it rest-related? Is it um, because of not, not enough exercise, whatever it might be. Or is it a product of, uh, is it hereditary? Is it genetic? Is there something genetically involved that's causing you to feel these things? Because if it's just diet-related, hey, change your diet. If it's stress-related, we've got to figure out how to deal with the stress. If it's something about getting more rest and you've got to sleep more. But if it's genetic, if there's a hereditary component, if there's a family history of it, then all of those things are important. But there may be other factors involved in it and, therefore, other remedies like medication or whatnot that you need to take in order to help manage these different symptoms. At a physical level, who you are is influenced and impacted by generations past. And what I want to bring out today is a simple idea that if that's true for us physically, that we're impacted and influenced by generations prior at a physical level, then would not that also be true at a spiritual and an emotional level? That the sins that have been committed in the past history, not only that, but the blessings and all of the opportunities that have come to us are there in part, in some part, and what I want to say is it's a major part. as a result of our family history. That's what I wanna do today as we talk about getting beneath the surface. Again, 10% of what everyone sees, actually what everyone sees is only 10% of who we are. There's 90% that lies beneath the surface and in order for us to be healthy, we have to get and understand what's going on beneath the surface and a huge part of emotional health, and a huge part of understanding what's beneath the surface, things that you and I do not see, is understanding the impact of our past on our present, okay? Understanding the impact of past experiences, past trauma, past um, ways of doing life that impact us today. And the most important way that we're impacted by our past is through our families of origin. And what I want to do today is take a deep dive into that to see how exactly we may have been impacted and influenced and informed by our families, and I pray that we would experience God's grace uh, as we go through this time. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. This is the context. um, It's the Ten Commandments. The Israelites, God's people, have been saved out of slavery, and as they meet Moses on Mount Sinai, they encounter God on the mountain, and he gives them 10 rules by which the people of God will be defined. And so as we look at these 10 commandments, there's some important stuff in here. We're just going to look at the first couple of them. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And here's where we get, where we start to see. Punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let me read in the middle of verse 5 again. He says, I'm the Lord your God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is God's word. Um, I just want to dive right in and just share two thoughts, and I'm just going to spend a lot of time illustrating a lot today. The first thought is this, that your life, okay, you have been impacted, okay, you have been impacted by the sins of your family going back for many generations. Okay, who you are today, understand this, you have been impacted by the sins of your family going back for many generations, This is huge, okay, absolutely huge. When the Bible talks about family, when the Bible talks about family, all definitions that you look up will typically say this relates to your immediate family as well as your extended family for up to four generations, okay? Three or four generations, that's what it talks about when it talks about your family. Here it says God says, I will punish the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generations. In other words, who you are today has been impacted definitely by your parents, definitely by your grandparents, perhaps through your great-grandparents, and even by your great-great-grandparents. In other words, you may have Jesus living in your heart, but you've got grandma and grandpa living in your bones. You may have accepted Jesus into your life, but you've also got the sins of your forefathers in your life. Now, let me, before you walk out of here, let me, let me, make something clear. When he says punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation, he's not literally, and I, I, I did a lot of study on this because this kind of, I had a hard time with this, but literally as I do study, it does not literally say punishing the children for the sins of their ancestors. Literally what it says is God will visit the sins of the forefathers in the lives of their children. Almost every literal translation of the English as well as in the Hebrew, the original language says it's not the language of punishment, of sin and punishment, sin and and, uh, of crime and punishment, but it's the language of actions and consequences. He will visit the children. In other words, we are impacted and influenced by the sins of our family going back for generations. That's the language that God is giving here. This is pretty crucial because when you think about it, it helps to understand. Maybe in your mind, you begin to realize, hey, you know what? My parents are divorced. And you know what? Um, On my dad's side or my mom's side, someone else is divorced. And you know what? It, It kind of goes back for generations, and that worries you, and that scares you. You're like, wow, that's kind of bizarre. That's kind of weird. We're impacted, okay, by the sins of our family going back for generations. Maybe for some of you, your, your family was involved in some really bad stuff. That impacts your life in certain ways. You're not defined by it. Let me be clear. You're not defined by it, but it certainly has an impact on the way that we live life. When the people of God were hearing this, when Moses was explaining this, when God said this through Moses as the spokesman to the people of Israel, when people heard this, the only family that they really knew, the best family that they knew, the most significant family that they knew, was a family of Abraham. That's how God identified Himself. Who are you? Who, whose God you worship? Which God do you worship? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? The fourth generation there would be Joseph and his brothers. So understand this. Imagine being Joseph in the fourth generation. Imagine being Joseph, you're Joseph here, fourth generation, and they say, Hey, tell me about your family history. And you say, My great grandfather is Abraham. Like people be like, oh my gosh, dude, Abraham is your great grandfather. What an amazing lineage. What an amazing history. What an amazing family tree you fall from, you come from. And granted, they would be absolutely correct. Abraham started all of this. He's in my DNA, which is an amazing thing. But at the same time, it comes with a lot of baggage. Because can I tell you something? Even the best of families are impacted by the sins. That they've committed, and that gets passed down potentially from generation to generation to generation. Let me explain. In Abraham's life, you know about Abraham and his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, and then their twelve sons, right? The twelve tribes of Israel. Think about, and 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 Pete Sciarro makes this point extremely clear. But you, if you were to trace a family tree, you could see three very clear and specific sin patterns that are passed on through the generations. Here's the first one: there's a history of lying within their family line. Genesis 12 to Genesis 50, this is where we see the true story of Abraham's family. In Genesis 12, Abraham and his wife Sarai, Abraham Abraham and Sarai go to Egypt and there's the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And Abraham preemptively says, hey, you know what, Sarai, Um, you're you're gorgeous, you're beautiful, and Pharaoh's gonna want to get with you and if he knows that I'm married to you, he's gonna try and kill me. So let's just pretend, just tell him that you're my sister. That way, he can get what he wants from you, and my life will be spared. How's that for the father of our faith? Oh, well, that was, I mean, he was young. He didn't know anything then. Eight chapters later, after he's gotten the promises of God, after God's shown him the stars and the sand and all that stuff, after the covenant of circumcision and the covenant promises are given, even after that in Genesis 20, Abraham goes to another king, king of Philistine in Gaza, a guy named... um, Abimelech, and the same thing happens. He says, hey, this is actually my sister, not my wife. Abimelech takes Sarah to try and have a relationship with her, and in a dream, God says, hey, you know what? You can't mess with her. She's a married woman. How's that for the father and the founder of our faith, Abraham? But that lying didn't stop in his generation. It went to Isaac, this Isaac and Rebecca, their marriage was all jacked up, all filled with lies, just brokenness and and patterns of, of sinfulness and lying. Then it goes to the next generation, Jacob. Here's Jacob. Jacob didn't just lie to his wife. In fact, because of all the lying, in fact, he was a deceiver. He lied to everybody. His name meant the deceiver. See, these patterns of sin passed down from one generation to the next didn't just stay the same. They got worse. And in the next generation, what happens? Joseph is sold as a slave to the Egyptians, but his 10 brothers go to their father and say, Joseph was killed by an animal. And you see these patterns of lying that affect the generations, lying and deceit. That's the first, the first pattern that we see. The second pattern we see is um, it's just bad, bad husbands. Abraham sells his wife out to basically say, hey, uh, be his you know, mistress, be his concubine, be whatever, so that he can have his day with you. Just as long as I stay alive, that's all I want. And he does that twice. Then Isaac and Rebecca—nothing really good that we see about there. There's not much to say actually about Isaac. He's just a uh, just a not very present uh, husband or father. The main thing is that he shows favoritism to his son. Then in the next generation, here's Jacob. Right? Jacob not only marries one girl, but he marries his sister as well. Not only that, but he has children with two of their maidservants. Like, this is not a healthy marriage, okay? not a healthy marriage, not a pattern for us to repeat. Four women with whom he's had children, and then in the next generation you see that. The third sin that we see, not only lying, not only bad, bad marriages, but there's a, there's a hatred within the siblings. Not just sibling rivalry, but it degenerates into like, I, we hate each other. It's Isaac and Ishmael. Okay, Isaac and Ishmael, they hate one another so bad that even to this generation, right, to to this day, that conflict in the Palestinian territories between the Arabs and the Jews stemming from the religion, uh, Judaism, and Christianity with Islam, there's that separation, that divide continuing to this generation centuries, centuries later, generations later. And then in the next generation is Jacob and Esau fighting with one another. Jacob lies to his brother, steals the birthright, lies to his dad, steals the blessing. All of these things are the product of the hatred that the two have for one another. And then the pinnacle comes in Joseph's generation where 10 of his brothers leave him for dead and then they say, hey, you know what? Um, let, let's get him out of the pit. Let's sell him because why should we let our brother die for nothing? Let's get money out of it. You see, generationally, there's these sins that are being passed down and that impact Joseph. Hey, Joseph, whose family do you belong to? Oh, I'm part of Father Abraham's family. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. There are opportunities and blessings that are given to you from every family, but there's also sin, even in the seemingly best of families, that impact who we are today. Again, we could do this exact same exercise with King David's family and Solomon and Absalom and all the, 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 the bitterness and the infighting, the hatred, the adultery, the rape, the murder, one incestual relationships leading to death, all of these things until the kingdom of, of Israel is divided into two. We could go on and on and on and talk about patterns like this, but you may see this in your own life too, right? In your family tree, you think about all of the baggage and all of the emotional brokenness within. You think about the patterns of addiction that get passed on through the generation. You think about how this person was a chain smoker, and, and so was he, and so was he, and so was he. You, you think about and, and see all of these patterns because the sins of our forefathers impact who we are today. What are the things in your life that your family just, hey, we don't talk about those things. We don't talk about those things. doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. These people followed Jesus. They followed the God who would send his son Jesus. These people were men and women of faith. And yet the brokenness and baggage within their lives from generations prior lived out in brokenness within their own lives. You see this in life today. I I shared about this some time ago last year where um, one of my former pastors um, he was in Hawaii doing a, a discipleship training course and they were kind of doing a lot of healing of the emo- at the emotional level. And one of the things that his uh, 12-year-old son at the time uh, realized as he thought about his birthday and thought about mom and dad's anniversary, doing the math, he said, uh, this doesn't make sense how I could have been born less than nine months after you got married. And so dad and mom sat him down and said you were actually conceived out of wedlock. Before we were married, even though we were in seminary, we were training for missions, we were training to be pastors, we were training for all that stuff, had a strong pedigree of Christian faith in us, yet when we were 21, 20 years old, uh, we failed in our relationship, in, our, in the areas of purity, and you, you were conceived. And so we had to quickly put together a wedding, and then you were born. And as dad was talking, this was my former pastor, as dad was talking, he said, but son, um, this is something, your story resonates with me because I was born in the same conditions, under the same conditions. I was born out of wedlock as well. And so was my father before me. And so Tim prayed and he said, I declare in the name of Jesus that this stops in this generation and that it no longer impacts our family uh, in the future. Because he understood who he was, was impacted and informed in large part by generations previous. How might you be impacted? What are some of the events in your life? What are some of the family secrets that your parents don't ever want you to talk about? What are the scripts that have been playing out in your life that you feel like maybe this impacts who I am today. Right? You are impacted by the sins of your family going back for several generations. I was listening to a podcast today. with a lady out in, in Portland. Her name is Bethany, something or other. Her father was a pretty influential pastor. But when her, her dad and mom were married at the age of 15, mom and dad got divorced. Mom just said, hey, I can't do, deal with this anymore. I'm leaving. And she left when Bethany was 15. She said that jacked her up, just messed her up emotionally in the deepest way. The age of 15, age of 18, she goes to college, and she begins uh, a very ungodly relationship, a codependent relationship, which means I'm dependent for all of my emotional, physical needs on him, and he's completely dependent for all his emotional, physical needs on me, and we cannot cannot imagine how to do life apart from each other. And so when you're codependent, it leads to a lot of compromise, and they compromised a lot, fell into a lot of sin. They would stop, they would get back, stop and get back. But when she gave her life to Christ, she began growing in the Lord, but she still would fall into these same patterns. Like, why do I have such a hard time in relationships with the opposite gender? So she was sitting and talking with a a counselor, and the the first thing the counselor did was, hey, uh, why don't you draw out a family tree? So she drew out her family tree, mom and dad divorced, mom's side, all this stuff. And what she realized was for four generations going back on her mom's side, three out of four generations um, ended in divorce. Every single one of them was initiated by the mother, like her mom, by the woman. And every one of them was between the age of 40 and, and 45, And she began to realize these patterns in her life. And she began to see how she was impacted by the effects of sin in her family's life going back for generations. As you think about your life and what you know about your family life, maybe things begin to click and begin to make sense. Maybe that's why my parents never want to talk about X, Y, Z. Or that's why whenever I bring this up, this and that and that happens. Maybe there's been a whatever, whatever, whatever. Because it's easy for us to say, hey, you know what? That's fine. These families are jacked up and broken. But my family's not like that. Remember Joseph. Remember Joseph. Powerful lineage. But he began to realize, man, I've been impacted and influenced by all of these things. Some of the things that you feel like, man, I'm stuck spiritually. Why can't I get over this hump? Why can't I overcome this challenge? Why can't I overcome this sin? It could be that there's some generational patterns of sin that go deeper. And it's not about throwing anybody under the bus. Oh, you know, my mom and dad love me. I can't bear to talk about. That's not what this is about. Unless, guys, unless you see and are honest about what's going on in the 90%, you're never gonna be able to change. That's the reality. It's not about saying, oh, I feel bad about that. I could never speak bad about mom and dad. It's if if your mom and dad and your grandparents, and the things that they did were sinful, if you don't think that's wrong, then what you're always going to do is you're going to say, then something's wrong with me. And what you're doing is you're owning something that's not yours to own. You need to realize that as, as, hey, I love myself, I love Olivia, but the way that we parent our kids, I'm sure there's going to be stuff that they go into counseling for and therapy for. We're not perfect. I think we're pretty good but we're broken, that's that's the reality. And I I would be doing a disservice to my kids if I said, don't ever talk bad about the way mom and dad parented you. Say, I want you to be honest about it, to be real about that, because you need to see that it's not your fault. Mom and dad are living out our brokenness and our dysfunctions, and it's affecting you. Be honest about those things. That's what we need to do to go beneath the surface in order to let God change these things at a deeper level. So what's going on in your life? What's going on in your family? Things that you, you know what? I'm not going to talk about that. I don't want to deal with that. There's stuff that affects you from generations past. It impacts you. The first thing that we see is that. But the second thing that we see, and here's, neither are more important, but here's the, the, the deeper part of the story, is that God wants to redeem, to restore, and to repair you All so that he could prepare you (laughs) for his purpose. I know that was long-winded, but you got to get it. God's desire is not for you to remain in this place of brokenness, not for you to remain in that place of, oh, man, um, I feel like I'm impacted by my past and I can't change it. No, God's desire to redeem, restore, repair, all to ultimately prepare you to be used for the great purposes of God. That's what he does with Joseph. That's what he wants to do with us. See, the language of Scripture, and it begins by saying, I need to surrender my past. I need to surrender my present. I need to surrender my future to God. I need to give myself fully to him. I can't, I can't try and manage it myself. Like, like Kenny was talking about that yoke. We're, we've got this yoke of our past on us, and we're trying to manage this and plow through the fields on our own. Jesus says, hey, give that to me and take mine. I give you something better. I'll give you something better so that you can really live because you ain't living right now. Some of us have lived with that pattern for such a long time that we don't know any other way to live and we think this is normal. But Jesus is saying, you're looking at black and white. Let me show you what life looks like in color, bright, vivid hues, in HD, 4,000, whatever it is, (laughs) those pixels. I can show you life and I want to give you life. If you would see that. The language of Scripture then when we come to Christ is that you're adopted. The dominant image is you're adopted into a new family. So that you're defined by the new family more than you are by your old family. Right? That's what God wants to do. The Ten Commandments that you grow up living within your family. We don't talk about uh, family secrets. We don't talk about that person who died. We don't talk about that stuff. We pretend like it didn't happen. Maybe that's what some of your families do. And you're stunted emotionally and that stunts and caps you spiritually. People don't talk about things like that. Oh, don't bring up Uncle Harry. I have an uncle like that who is a bad, bad man. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about that in our family. We're not supposed to. We're not allowed to. But when you get adopted into a new family, there's power and potential for all of those scripts to be changed. Uh, several... Um, I think a, a lot of you know um, and are friends with a family that I'm friends with also. Uh, the family had two, uh, two grown, uh, maybe teenage daughters. And, and one day teenage daughters um, looked through scriptures and they found all these verses that dealt with God's care for orphans. And they wrote all these verses down and they gave it to mom and dad and said, hey, can you pray about this? Mom and dad prayed about it, led them on a journey to adopt three little girls, all of them under the age of six, all of them who came from a severely broken family life. Dad was in jail. Mom addicted to drugs, being raised by a grandmother who just could not take care of them anymore, given her age and given their, their youth and their young age. And so our friends adopted them into their family. They said when they got adopted into their family, they said these kids um, were fearful, especially of men. Very cautious, very guarded, very sheltered, didn't want to be touched. Very difficult time, trusting, cautious, insecure, afraid. When they got adopted into this new family, uh, the parents told them, listen, everything is different now. Those debts that you had, you no longer have to pay those. That's not your responsibility anymore. When you come to a new family, you've got new siblings. You've got a new mom. You've got a new dad. All right, this is who you are now. You've got a new last name. everything's different. It's a new life. And, and they said, man, they saw so many first things in their life the first time they went to the mall. They saw an escalator. At the age of six, their first time going to a mall. At the age of six, they saw an escalator, and they said, wow, stairs that move. <laughs> and so they went on these stairs, and up and down the stairs they went. They'd never been on those things before, and they loved it. They're like, this is amazing. And all of the things that they realized, wow, we're in a new family. But before long, before long, the old habits of the old family started coming back. Things like... We don't know where we're going to get food, and so we've got to keep all of the food on our plate. We can't share. We've got to eat as fast as we can or else somebody's going to take it. Mom and dad are saying, you don't have to live like that anymore. You're in a new family. Everything that you have is given to you and more, everything that you could want. But they still lived in the patterns of their old family because you might have Jesus in your heart, <laughs> but you still got grandma and grandpa in your bones. You might have been adopted into a new family in Christ, but old family habits die pretty hard, don't they? And you see those in your own life also. We could ignore them and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to deal with those things. It's no big deal. I know that my parents love me, and my grandparents love me, and, and they took care of me. I can't think of anything bad to say about them, but to do so would be to kill a part of yourself yourself a huge part of who you are beneath the surface. Joseph didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, you know what? Uh, My family was, they were perfect. They taught me everything I know. No, in fact, he went and when it says he saw his brothers, it says he wept so much that he had to tell everyone to leave the room. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He didn't ignore it. He didn't rationalize it. He dealt with it. And then he said in, in, in Genesis 45, 8, he said, God, it was you who led me. To this place, through all of the brokenness of my past, through all of the pain, through all of the the stuff that I went through, through all the betrayal, through all the brokenness, through all the lies, I've come to this point in time because you led me here. In Genesis 50, 20, he says, whatever they meant to harm me, God, you used for good in my life. He saw what God was doing. He knew that he was afforded all these opportunities, but he also knew that his family of origin had given him a lot of brokenness that could not be unstuck unless he surrendered that to God. And once he did, he was able to not only forgive his brothers. That's how you know. That's how you know that the work of God is working through you, that those who hurt you so deeply, you're able to forgive and to embrace them. And then not only was he able to do that, he was able to love them to save their lives in the midst of a famine, to save not only Egypt, but to impact the world through the position that he'd been given. All that because he knew, God, your, your aim is to redeem, restore, re, uh, repair me, all that preparing me so that I might be used for a greater purpose. But it would not, could not have happened had he not faced honestly the brokenness of his life. In each of our lives, there are scripts, there are commandments, there are rules that we live by that have been given to us by our families, been passed down through time. Maybe it's, hey, when you get in trouble, you pray to Buddha. Or, hey, when, when, when something bad happens, uh, you don't tell other people. You stuff that inside. Hey, when something happens within your family, you die with those secrets. You don't dare talk bad about mom and dad. Whatever those rules are, we have to know. That there's a new family who adopts us and a new people who brings us in, a new father who brings us in, and through that we could experience healing and transformation. As I was growing up, up until probably my, man, into my 30s, early 30s, I would say, um, there were tapes that I played in my mind that my family had given to me. Three lies, maybe three things. The first one was, if you want to be loved, you need to earn it. Okay, you need to achieve. I know some of you, uh, this is the funniest thing I'll say, and it's not very funny anymore because I've said it so many times, but uh, there really is an Asian grading skill that at least my parents judged me by, where A was merely average. Now you got an A. That's normal. B meant you're below average. What happened to you? C means can't eat dinner. <laughs> D means don't come home. And F means find a new family. right? Get disowned if you got an F. That's how, that's, uh, those are the scripts and the rules that I grew up learning. And so I had to achieve in order to get, if I brought home all A's, I would get a few dollars. If I didn't, I would hear what happened with that. B minus or B plus or whatever it was grade that you got. And so growing up, I thought to myself, I need to earn in order to be loved. Once as a youngster, I brought home a 95 on a math quiz and 20 questions. One of them I got wrong. And the answer, correct answer was eight. And um, you know, my dad had to sign the test quiz and give it back. And he said, what's wrong with this one? I said, uh, the right answer is eight. He said, you wrote an eight there. I said, yeah, but the teacher uh, couldn't read it. It was like a scribbly eight. So he got really upset, and he made me fold a piece of paper into like a million different squares, and he said, I want you to write the number eight a million times over in all of these squares. For a 95? My goodness. I grew up thinking I need to earn love from my dad, from my parents, from my family, from anybody. Unless I did that, I wasn't worthy of love. And so the second thing that I believed was, if you can't earn it on your own, then you fake it. You fake it. So what I did was, you know, in elementary school, you had to bring these folders home with papers, like homework and quizzes, and teachers write the grade, and then parents would sign it and send it back. I realized pretty quickly that it would make my parents happy if I brought home quizzes and homework that had A's on it. And so I would only bring home the A's on my homework and, and quizzes, and I would give it to them. And, and some days when that, thick, uh, when that uh, packet was not very thick, I stashed old A and B quizzes in my desk so that I could supplement them and fill them, uh, that folder. And so I brought that home, and I was like, here's my homework this week, all A's again, great job. I would take it back to school. Worked out great until my report card came, and all those A's on homework and quizzes translated the C's and D's on my report card. Oh my gosh, can't come home, don't eat dinner, don't come home, can't eat dinner, whatever it was. And so I brought those things. So, so what, what did I, I changed the grades on my report card. I said, I I'll never be loved. I'll never be accepted with C's and D's. Let, I wouldn't even be accepted with B's and B pluses. I need to bring home all A's. So I changed the grades because I didn't think that I could be loved apart from my performance. Does any of you feel this way? Maybe your stories are different. But you feel like the way to your parents' heart is through your performance and through you being strong or being beautiful or being great or being brilliant or winning the Nobel Prize. It's the only way. You feel like like a, a high jumper at the Olympics that dad keeps raising the bar higher and higher and higher, and the only way you can quit is if you fail. Some of you feel like that. the third thing that I grew up believing was that if I messed up, there would be deep and dire consequences. So if I brought home bad grades, I'd get beaten for it. If I lied to cover up those bad grades, I'd get beaten for it. My parents did not spare the rod, no matter what kind of rod it was, a fishing rod, any kind of rod. Anything that they, they would look around, I don't know if your parents did, they'd look around for anything to grab, be a, a big old wooden spoon, uh, be a, a, a shoe, a shoehorn, like back scratcher, or whatever it is, like, get, give me something, and they just like, and it felt like if I didn't perform, that there would be pretty severe consequences, physically or in whatever other way. The worst came when I was uh, in—I was in elementary school. I was a kid, and I had done something bad. I had probably changed my grades and then lied about it. But my dad said, "All right, um, we can't handle you anymore. Uh, You're gonna go and live at the police station." (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So he said, "Pack your bag." I was like, "I'm like eight years old. What am I gonna pack?" So I packed my Bible just because I I knew I'm supposed to. I packed my Bible, and then I packed my Snoopy, like little Snoopy. Like Snoopy was my, here's a tragedy, guys. Like my my friends thought I I had issues because when I was in college, I brought Snoopy to college too. (laughs) But in my heart, that stuffed animal was more emotionally available to me than my dad was. Some of you are feeling this, right? You pack your bags. I cried all the way to the police station. I, didn't even, I was like, what does that mean, I'm going to the police station? My brother cried with me in the back. He my saving grace. He said, if David's going, I'm going too. <laughs> I always love my brother. My dad's like, you ain't doing anything wrong. He, he and we didn't say it like that, but he said, you ain't doing anything wrong. Why would you go? So we're sitting in the car. It was night. It was like 9 o'clock. I swear there's a full moon out and all these animals making noises and lightning. Then <laughs> so my mom walks in the police station, comes out like 10 minutes later, and I, I, to this day, I don't know. I don't know what the true story is, but she came back and she said, oh, the police said they're not taking people. It's too late at night. <laughs> Maybe you know a truth that I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was real. So she said they, told, they said to come back after the weekend ends on Monday. Went back one day morning. I still remember Officer Amos was his name. He was the sweetest guy. He said, uh, why are you here? I said, because I lie too much. <laughs> and then he said, are you going to lie again? I was like, nope. Gave me a balloon and I went home. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, but the worst part of it, I went home and I was sitting in my house. Dad came home from work. He's like, what are you still doing here? He seemed like so disappointed that I was still there. And I was devastated. I said, well, these are the things that I grew up learning. You got to earn love. If you don't, there's consequence. And then if you can't, then fake it. Fake it. Just put on a mask and fake it. And so I did. When I was 18 years old, I gave my life to Christ and everything changed. My life completely was transformed. Like I was, I couldn't stop talking about Jesus. Like I found a love greater than life itself. Right after class, I'd go to the chapel on campus. I'd pray for like two, three hours a day. I would read the Bible, and I couldn't. People would say, hey, stop talking about Jesus, but I couldn't. I would call up my friends from high school, tell them, you need Jesus in your life. God loves you, and I would just tell all these people all these things. And I grew like crazy. For for those like two years, I literally felt like I had no sin in my life. That's what I felt like. I was like, I'm so pure. I love Jesus so much. (laughs) I didn't know that I was... Self-righteous and prideful, but still, I felt, I felt really happy about myself. And then I came to a point where I began to realize, you know what? Um, I feel like I'm not growing anymore. I'm still doing the, the spiritual disciplines and, and habits that I always did, but I'm not progressing in my love for you. It's constant. I'm still doing stuff, but I'm keeping my head above water. But there were still these like these fears and insecurities and performance anxiety and I got to perform and I got to make these people like me and I remember it affected me when I was doing ministry before I moved down here I would sweat if people weren't if someone wasn't paying attention to my message or if they were falling asleep I'd go crazy I would sweat and all these things would happen and then I and then I began to realize there's stuff beneath the surface through my counselor I began to realize family of origin issues but but the thing that I'm most thankful for in addition to my counselor, there are other men that God placed in my life who really believed in me and saw in me what I didn't see in my, what, he, they're, they're like, dude, everyone else sees this in you except for you. Whether it be about my character, whether it be my, my gifts, whether it be about me playing basketball, they, whatever it was. It's like, dude, everyone sees these things. You just got to believe in it. and They would speak life into me. Countless people, I don't have time, I'm already over time, but uh, two people in particular I'll talk about and just how God brought healing to me through them. One is our senior pastor. Um, when I first came down here, I didn't know anything about anything really. When I was in seminary and, and I still, I, I've got to prove myself. I've got to work, I've got to show my worth, I've got to do all these things in order to be accepted. And I remember the first time I was going home to visit my parents, it was, I'd been here maybe about a year, um, hadn't really done much, just leading worship services, spending time with our youth, um, trying to hang out with them, play basketball, praying for them, whatever it was, I, I really didn't do much. When I was going home, I, I went to his office, I said, hey, you know, Moksani, which means pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, I just wanted to say bye, and he said, come over here, and he busted out his wallet, and then... He opened it up, looked and see what he had in there, and he pulled out a $100 bill. he's like, here, have a good trip. I was like, what's this for? He's like, David, I want you to go eat good hamburger. (laughs) Spend good time with your parents. And I felt really weird. I was like, "Um, it's okay. It's okay, pastor. You can have this back. He's like, no, take it. Take it, David. Take it. I'm your boss. Take it. (laughs) So I said, what? Why? It, to me, it was weird because I thought in order to get something like that, I need to do so. I didn't do anything. I hadn't done anything. But he began to show me that my love for you doesn't depend on what you do. You don't need to earn it. You don't need to perform. You don't need to do anything for our church. Even if, you, even if I got rid of you now and fired you from church, I would still love you. A couple years later, I remember going to, uh, taking our group of graduating seniors up to Atlanta for our senior class retreat, and the hotel we stayed at had this partnership with this health club next door, Sport, I forgot what, what it was called, but as we were leaving that health club, some of the guys were working out, some of the girls were swimming, swimming or whatever, so we we're leaving, I was in a hurry to get back to the hotel, and I hit a car in the parking lot. I was like, oh my gosh, this is really, really bad. This is awful. So I was so scared. I was so nervous to call uh, Orlando, call our pastor. So I called, and he answered the phone. He's like, "David, how you doing?" I was like, "Oh, we're having a great time." But, 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 pastor I, uh, I did something bad. I said that to, to soften the blow. I did something bad. Uh, he said, "What? Well, you kill somebody?" <laughs> he didn't say that, but I said, "I." Um, Was driving out of the parking lot and I hit a car with our church van. And he said, Are you okay? I was like, I'm okay. He said, Everybody else okay? Said, everybody else is okay. He's like, then what the heck? That's why we got insurance. (laughs) Said, that's why we got insurance. I was waiting. Finally, we got to use this insurance. I was like, that's it. He's like, David, have fun change those lives, come back safely, report back to me. Like, that's it. That's it. We you to realize maybe there. within the family of God, there were consequences, and and maybe all of that was its own consequence in itself, the fact that I was afraid and that I messed up that car. Maybe that was it, but grace covers over our brokenness and over our failure and over our sins and over the mess-ups that we have and absorbs it in itself. Maybe there's a truer story and a new family that we can be adopted into. Yeah, old habits die hard, and I still struggle to live in my new identity, but maybe there's something to it. And then when I was about 29, 30 years old, this may be familiar to some of you, but I was in a small group, and there was a man, I w- my life indebted to him. He did so much, um, a man named Paul Tokunaga, who w- I was in a small group with him. There was three other pastors, and there were other small groups around Um, About four other small groups. And the activity we're doing is we're exploring our, our brokenness in our lives, especially in our families. Our assignment was we were to stand up behind our chair and we were to pretend that we were our dad and we were to introduce our son to the rest of the group. And so. Ain't nobody wanted to do this. Out of 12 of us, maybe like one or two guys were like, oh, yeah, I'll do this. It's fine. Like, i got a great relationship with my dad. But the rest of us Asian American pastors in our uh, 30s were pretty jacked up. Nobody wanted to do it. That room was like quiet outside of like sniffling cries. And then some people, a couple of my friends were really jacked up. They were just bawling loud. Some of them were completely numb, didn't feel anything, didn't feel anything. Like, I can't, I don't even know what to, what to do. So I sat there. There was quiet in our group. I think, it, I, I think as I remember correctly, I was the last one to go, but I, I couldn't even stand up. I was just sitting there, and I was, first I was silent, and then when I, I got up and I stood behind my chair, thinking about what I wanted Dad to say about me, like, um, I couldn't even get the first word out. This is my son, David. I couldn't even get the first words out because I had no idea what it would feel like emotionally for my dad to say, this is my son, David. I'm so proud of him. I love him. He brings me such delight, such pleasure. He doesn't need to do anything. Just looking at him, that's my boy, and I love him. But I couldn't even, I couldn't even formulate those words. So I just stood back there. And I just started, like, crying, trying to hold it in. And then afterwards, I was like, screw it. Dihon's crying. Dave's crying. These guys are crying. I'm going to, I don't care. It just came out. all came out. And I just started, like, weeping. I was like, I'm going to get it together. I'm going to get it together. I'm going to do this. Get it together. Do this so we can move on. But I I couldn't. And after probably about five minutes, a couple minutes maybe, Paul came behind me, and he just stood behind me, and he put his hands on my shoulders, and he just wept with me, started crying with me. I was able to make it through that. The next day, we did another exercise, and then on the last day, Paul, who was my mentor for that weekend, um, he so the culmination of the activity was that he would speak words over us. These are the words that I see in you. This is what I see in you, and you just speak over my life. But I think, you know, that week was so pivotal to me when I began to feel like, oh, my gosh, in this moment, there's a man who loves me, and it's not because I'm speaking eloquently about who I am. I can't even get a word out. I'm a bubbling, blundering, all kinds of stuff mess, and he loved me in that I'm here for you, and I love you. You know what this did in me? It brought a deep level of healing into my heart, beneath the surface, just deeply. And the first thing that I did was, man, my heart towards my dad, which had been very standoffish and hard, completely began to change. I said, I want to call my dad. I want to call my daddy up. I want to talk to him. I want to hear his voice. He had told me many years ago, the way that I parented you, daddy didn't have a dad. He was killed in the war. My older brother, your uncle, your kunapa, he raised me, and he didn't know what to do. And so he treated me the same way that I treated you. It's like, I didn't know. I didn't know how to be a dad. But to a kid, that doesn't that doesn't register. All I knew was he was beating me. Dads are awesome. Dads are perfect. I'm the problem, not him. And all of a sudden, I began to see the reality for what it was. My heart began to melt. And I began moving towards my dad instead of standing in this icy, cold war standoff. He ain't calling me. I'm not going to call him. He's the man. He got to make the first move. But I, I began to move towards him began to call him, began to, it wasn't easy. We had some really hard conversations about the past and about how he had beat me and how he had left, all these things. But there was forgiveness and there was healing and it was powerful. These days, he's quicker to say, I love you. I saw him this week and at the airport, he said, David, I love you gave him a hug. I said, I love you too, Dad. These days, Dad is not able to do a lot of the things that he used to be able to do when he was younger. So I find myself saying to him, Dad, hey, when I I leave, I said this last night. I said, Dad, you're doing a great job, okay? Keep on fighting. Doing awesome. I'm proud of you. I love you. Keep on fighting victory in Jesus. He says, amen. I give him a hug and I leave. And then I realize that what I'm saying to my dad are the same words that growing up I longed to hear him say to me. I'm proud of you, dad. You're my dad. I love you. You're the only pop I got and the best one I know. Broken, flawed, but you're mine. And I love you. I realized that because my father in heaven had spoken that so deeply into my heart, I didn't need to go to my dad to get anything anymore. I moved towards him wanting to give what I'd already received. And I saw something powerful at work. I am impacted by the sins of my family for generations. But hear what it says. punishing the children, visiting the children for the sin of the father, the third and fourth generation, those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. When the sin of our past collides with the love of God, three to four generations gets drowned out by the thousand generations of love that God offers to us. You are impacted, but you are in no ways defined by what happened in your family. You're impacted by it, but you're now defined by a new destiny. The family of God and the power of God to heal the brokenness in your family is infinitely greater. At the cross, Jesus, our Savior, took generations of sin upon himself and there sin and love met and collided at the cross and Jesus hung and it seemed like sin had won for maybe two, maybe about three parts of three days, but in the end, sin could not hold Jesus down. He broke through the tomb, and for all eternity, his love will prevail, and that's the final word. That's why you're impacted by these things in your family lineage, but you're not defined by it. You're defined by a Savior. You're defined by a bloody cross that's empty. You're defined by a tomb that is no longer occupied. You're defined by a family who has a Father in heaven who loves you regardless of what you've ever done, and He loves you, and the punishment for your sins has been taken by His Son on the cross. This is your new story. Whatever the dysfunctions of your family and the capacity of your family to break, the capacity of the new family of God to heal and to give life is infinitely greater. This is your future if you would step into it. Let's pray together. Let's spend a couple moments praying and giving our brokenness, our hurts, our baggage to the Lord. Now, what are the areas in your life where you see I'm impacted by my family? One of the first things that we can do is to pray a prayer of renunciation over these things. Just like young Tim did many years ago over the generational sin of out-of-wedlock childbirth, you too can say, claiming the powerful name of our risen Savior, Jesus. Maybe as you think about it, you can hide this prayer in your heart and you can speak this out loud. In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce my family's involvement in whatever sins of the past. I declare in Jesus' name that I am free, no longer bound by these things. I surrender my past to you so that I can move forward healed, forgiven, and free in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe for, I think for many of us, maybe that can be our prayer today. As you think about how you've been impacted, an absentee father, an emotionally distant family, a string of broken relationships, sexual addiction, alcohol addiction, Whatever those things might be. Involvement with false religions that continue to lead you astray and impact you. Let's pray. Surrender. Prayer of renunciation. In the name of Jesus, I renounce these things. My involvement with it. My family's involvement in it. Cleanse me. Move me forward in grace. In a new way. Let's pray for that for... 30 seconds, 60 seconds, and then I'm going to pray for us. And we'll sing one last song to close. Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Good and perfect Father, far greater than any other that we know. Pray that you would take our brokenness, our failures, our lives, as we surrender it to you. Pray that you would heal us, restore us, redeem us, remold us, make us, so that we could be the kind of people you want us to be, ready for your purpose. Thank you so much. Would you let your healing continue as we share together in our house churches and youth classes and small groups with our friends. Get us deep in order that we might find inside-out healing. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.